What's up and welcome into the lead block. Happy Monday, everybody. My name is Tyler Walters. I'm alongside Matthew Anderson. Matthew, how you doing? Doing good, man. Waking up. Yep. Uh, so first of all, before we get started, go make sure you're following the show on Twitter and Instagram at the lead underscore block. You can find Matthew at Matt the Chosen one with the number one and myself at Tyler Walters CNR on Twitter. Um, we're going to start. So we had a big interview that we dropped Friday. Yeah, that was really, really good. So if you have not listened to that, go back. I'm begging you go oh. back and listen to that interview because I th- we recorded that Thursday night with uh, former Gamecock walk-on Cedric Malone, and I like he told us a bunch of stuff about Steve, the end of the Steve Spurrier era, era, um, and then I mean off I knew we were getting that from him when he when he walked in, uh, knowing the dates that he was here. Then he starts off the interview telling us a ridic- like one of the craziest stories I that I had no idea about. With this school in North Carolina that had a bunch of, it was basically just a fraudulent school, and Antonio Brown was the one who told him to get out, <laughs> which is 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 just crazy when you think, of, especially with all the stuff going on with AB. Um, yeah, finally giving AB some positive PR right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's the only positive thing I've heard about Antonio Brown in the last six seven months. And then also you don't really hear too much about like schools, the JUCOs, whatever case being that like are like under. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. a lot of them maybe academics would not be the place that you necessarily want to go to school at, but not like that where your tr- credits don't transfer stuff like that. Being that that's the whole reason of going to a JUCO. Yeah. Uh, so. Go listen to that. Just, just I mean, probably four or five wild stories in that yeah. interview. Just crazy. He gave us great insight. Um, so I'm begging you, go listen to that. Cedric's also, he's, um, we're going to have him back on here in a couple months. He's going out to Vegas, or I guess in about a month. He's going out to Vegas for a spring football league. Um, so tweet at him if you're on Twitter and wish him good luck. I think he's got that the first week of March. Yeah. Um, let him know the lead block is supporting him for sure. But, yeah, so good luck to him, and, and thank thank you to Cedric again for coming on. But we're going to start today uh, with what happened last last Saturday night yeah. um, in Colonial Life Arena. So South Carolina, we talked about this a little bit. Probably, I mean, one of their biggest games to date, like as far as like crunch time uh, games, like they're they have been on a roll for the month of February. I mean, I think they've won eight of ten. Yeah. is that right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I know they've been on the really good eight of win ten, streak. seven and nine. Yeah. So they, um, yeah, they're they're pretty hot right now. Um, in a game with Tennessee that was tight, pretty much all the way. Uh, I think they were. De- I think they caught Tennessee at like twenty two points. That was the first tie, in the first half. And once they caught Tennessee, it was it was back and forth the whole game. Uh, first off, I didn't watch the first Tennessee game. I got a recap from. I think I was out of town, but I know Brendan watched it. Uh, producer Brendan, and then when I got back, he was telling me it was just almost unbearable to watch with the amount of fouls that <laughs> happened in the first game. It, not quite to the extent Saturday night, but in the first half, I mean, I, there were just an absurd amount of fouls. Uh, so, like, two pretty physical, I mean, pretty defensive teams being physical, I guess, and you just get called a lot for everything. Yeah. Uh, which tends to happen, but South Carolina did go on to win 61-63 before we get into it, but his kid from Tennessee, this Fulkerson kid. Uh, 25 points, one assist, yeah. nine rebounds in 35 minutes. That's four more minutes than anybody else on the court. So hopefully he had his conditioning. Yeah, I mean, he played a pretty much a full game. I, like, so he was – they were talking during the game. I don't follow basketball that closely. 
February is when I'll start to look at. I don't really don't look at it until football season ends. Yeah. Um, I guess I've watched a, a decent bit of games here since in the, in the month of February, as far as South Carolina is concerned. And uh, this Fulkerson guy was recruited higher than than um, than Admiral Nelson. Is that right? Admiral Not Schofield. Schofield. Admiral Nelson is uh, a different kind of of uh, Captain Morgan. Yeah. So Admiral Schofield <laughs> and, and uh, Grant Williams, right? Yeah, Schofield was, has heavy ties in Camden, South Carolina. I didn't even really know about him until I go down there. That's all they keep talking about. They have, like, pictures of him on their porches. It's crazy. It's crazy. But, yeah, he had heavy ties down in Camden, South Carolina. So Yeah, so those two guys were, I mean, they killed it for Tennessee last year. They were the reason, like, that they had such a good year. Yeah. And were, I mean, at the top of the NCAA rankings for a while. But this kid, Fulkerson, was recruited higher than either one of them coming out of high school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I mean, like I said, I don't. I'm not following basketball super close, um, or close at all for most of the year. And he played a great game Saturday night, but it was kind of a interesting like. And I guess the broadcast kind of set it up this way. An interesting back and forth with him and Kotsar all night. Kotsar had a pretty big night, 13 points, eight rebounds, but he was clutch in the end with his free throws. He had four free throws at pivotal times in the game at the end of the game in the last two minutes or so. Uh, South Carolina couldn't buy a free throw in the first half. It always amazes me, and I'm even seeing this at the high school ranks. Even if you go down to the AAU, like middle school, like guys cannot make free throws anymore. And it's now, like, if you go watch some high school basketball games, if you see somebody shoot an air ball on a free throw, it's like, okay. It's like, when did that become acceptable? But it's like nowadays at this point, it's like things like free throws are just kind of understatement. When you would think like you practice that, you know, as long as, long as you got it together mentally, you should be at least going, you know, hit the rim. But, yeah, I've noticed a lot more people missing free throws these days. Yeah, South Carolina had a great finish Saturday. So they, they go up with, I think Tennessee got fouled with maybe, I don't know, like five, six seconds left. And they get uh, – one and one, bounce it off the rim, and who was that that had the cover? Was that Kuznard that had the cover? I think so, wasn't it? And he has to cover, he just defensively has to cover, and kind of just is in a weird spot. Tennessee does get a shot up, I and mean, it's a very low percentage shot, uh, and they do, they, they miss to, to win. What but did, South what? Carolina like, had a very good ending to that game, and I thought with, like, two, three minutes to go that they like they just weren't going to get there, that they were going to be close and then lose with, you know, within two, three points and it just not go their way. But they found a, like, in a very pivotal game, as far as March Madness is concerned, found a way to win. Did you uh, see that charge by John Fulkerson? Yeah, 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 on Kotsar. Yeah, how did yeah. you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, uh, like... I mean, it was a good moment for Kotsar. Yeah. So, uh, so they were talking about, like I said, I didn't watch the first Tennessee game this year. Yeah. But Fulkerson took a charge uh, against A.J. Lawson in the first game that kind of gave Tennessee the win or was a pivotal moment in that, at the end of yeah, that game to was, give Tennessee um, the win. Yeah, we had the ball with three seconds or like six seconds left, and A.J. Lawson brings it up and gets an offensive foul, and we lose. Yeah, so kind of the opposite here in Columbia Saturday. But to split Tennessee this year for South Carolina is is pretty big because now you have you look you got one against Tennessee, you got Kentucky, and and you're you're fourth in the SEC still, uh, and you kind of distance yourself at fourth a little bit because I think there's what two games between them and Florida, um, 
they've got Mississippi State Wednesday, LSU next Saturday, and we are officially seeing South Carolina on the as when I look today Sunday, officially in the bubble talks. Yeah. So I've been looking like the last couple weeks, and I think Lenardi releases his bracketology tomorrow. Today, as you're listening to this Monday, um, but yeah, they're officially in bubble talks, and these next like two like. These Mississippi like they need to split Mississippi State. You can't lose two to Mississippi State. That's their last you know two game set that they have. You you cannot lose both of those, and expect to make the tournament. So they have got to beat Mississippi State. Uh, they play them at home Wednesday, I'm pretty sure, and then LSU Saturday. LSU would be a huge one because LSU is sec- third in the SEC right now. I wonder if that, the other game will probably be televised. I might have to go to that one. Yeah, that, yeah, that one will probably be on ESPN, ESPN two, something SEC network. But yeah, so like a. They're playing, like, this is the first, like, real chance. they've. I mean, they had a pretty good chance to make the tournament last year, and they kind of fell apart right at the end. Uh, but, I mean, they're actually building a resume where they started off in a hole at the beginning of the season, and they're gaining steam at the right time instead of losing momentum at the, at the wrong time. Yeah, right now they're 16-9, 8-4 the conference. I'm assuming that Frank Martin would have used this whole offseason to motivate these guys to finish, finish, to finish. Now you're in a position where if you finish, you could potentially play an NCAA tournament. I know anybody who grows up watching college basketball dreams of that, so it's like y'all just finished the deal and we might be finding ourselves in the big dance. Yeah, but the biggest story to come out of South Carolina basketball this weekend, besides their win against Tennessee, which is big for this year. Uh, oh, yeah. So Friday... Yeah. They received, the, the University of South Carolina and the basketball program received notice of allegations from the NCAA um, concerning former assistant Lamont Evans. So if you remember, what was it, two years ago, Lamont Evans left South Carolina or was released of his duties, and he went to Oklahoma State. Um, he they, This is a level one violation, allegation from the NCAA, which is the most serious. Um, but I guess the good thing, if you're South Carolina, in the report, nothing reflects on the University of South Carolina and nothing reflects on Frank Martin. So there's no lack of institutional control, no, like, trying to cover up. Like, it's pretty clear from everything that the NCAA has that neither Frank Martin or anyone else inside the University of South Carolina knew anything that happened with Evans. Um, basically what he did was he took money to set up a meeting, and I think it was around five or $6,000. I think it was closer to $6,000. Uh, to set up a meeting between P.J. Dozier and an agency. Yeah. Uh, for, for which is like crime of the crime. If you're in, as far as the NCAA is concerned, they want no athletes messing with any agents until they are done playing NCAA sports. Um, ASM Sports for it was the uh, agency specifically. Um, specific. Which was funny. The funny thing was that P.J. Dozier. Uh, so there are NBA is on All Star break. Dozier's with the in the Nuggets organization right now, uh, so South Carolina had three or four guys come back. They I saw they had Thornwell, um, the Heat. Oh, oh, I'm losing my mind. Chris Silva. Yeah. Um, and Dozier and someone else. I can't remember who the fourth guy was on the court Saturday night at halftime, which is kind of funny. This stuff just came <laughs> out Friday, and Dozier's there. But the good thing with Dozier is again, um, it's been clear that no allegations that. PJ took any money from the agency, didn't take a bribe, or from the coach. So nothing was handed down to Dozier that we know of um, in the allegations. Nothing is against PJ Dozier. So I don't, my thing is, I don't really know what the, so the South Carolina can face 
um, up to like postseason bans and, and different like recruiting restrictions and scholarship restrictions for these things, but I don't I don't think you're gonna see that here. So I think if you're a South Carolina fan, it's weird that you're getting you have a notice of allegations, but nothing's really gonna I don't think I would be surprised if something came to this. Because the school from what the allegations set from the NCAA to the University of South Carolina, it looks like the school is free and clear. It looks like Frank Martin and anyone else who is on the staff is free and clear. Um, there's no, like, they, they have not uh, alleged anything negative against anyone who was at the program. Um, this guy, Evans, was arrested in 2017. Remember this whole FBI yeah. wiretapping thing uh, that happened a couple of years ago with, I don't know, like 10 other schools? I think South Carolina is, like, one of the sixth of ten teams to get allegations right now. I would think I read that in the state this morning. Um, but, yeah, he was arrested 2017. He pled, pled guilty last year, 2019, and he was sentenced to three months in prison uh, for his actions in this. And But what I was saying is I guess the good thing is I don't, I don't think you're going to see any real repercussions at the University of South Carolina because no one at the University of South Carolina, no players, no coaches, who are here had anything to do with this. Yeah, I'm hoping for maybe even a warning or uh, just like, hey, be, make sure that you keep institutional control. Although he didn't know anything about it, they might kind of hint at that or something very minimal, but I don't think it's going to be anything too major. I don't. I can't imagine, from my perspective, if you're the NCAA, I don't think they're looking to punish the University of South Carolina. Yeah. But who knows? The NCAA is a wild card at all times, and they'll punish you just for the sake of punishing you. Yeah. Um, Scared others. Yeah. <laughs> and But I think if you are the NCAA, it's something like that where you just say, hey, Frank, like, we know you had nothing to do with this. Just make sure you know you're checking. Dot dots cross the T's. Telling that they're telling the same thing to Ray Tanner. Like, hey, we get that you had nothing to do with this. No one here had anything to do with this. Just make sure you're checking. Yeah. Um, because now, if going forward, if something does happen, it will it will probably be bad then. Yeah. But I don't think you can really punish South Carolina or Frank Martin for doing anything because they didn't do anything. I think a major part of it is proving that if you can prove that they had no idea about it, that's huge. Because without that, it's like, okay, coach is supposed to know everything. But if you can prove that like this was, hand, this was handled over here and that, that the person, the head coach, whoever else could be involved, didn't really know anything about it, you should be straight. See, I'm always, it's interesting you say that because I'm, I'm always of the boat that coaches know everything that happens yeah. with their program. But in this case, it really does look like Frank Martin had no clue. Yeah. Um, and once he found out about it, like it was like, all right, dude, like you can't be here. Yeah. So like we don't want that around our program. And they distanced themselves from the situation. Uh, so that'll be interesting to watch going forward. I saw there might, there is not going to be a decision probably until the summer or late summer and into yeah, the fall. It takes so we won't know long, for a while. Yeah, it takes them a long time for the NCAA to do anything. I guess they go through all their little their huge book of rules and try to make sure nothing get nothing was like checked off or things of that nature. But yeah, so it'll yeah. be a little while before we know. Anything. Well, see, the thing for me is in basketball now the NCAA like has, I mean they've lost all credibility a long time ago. For there's just tens of thousands of things you can pull up the NCAA just destroy their own credibility. But they didn't punish North Carolina for, like, basically having their players do, like, just have fake classes. Like, yeah. They, like, they would have kids take classes for their players, and they were just enrolled in fake classes. And it was very proven that a lot of people knew about it, and it was a cover-up, and North Carolina practically got nothing. Yeah, when I saw it, I was like, whoop, here comes the, the downfall. Here comes uh, North Carolina too. turning like an SMU in football. And it's like it just kind of evaporated out of thin air. I'm like, wait, what it's happened gone. here? Yeah, yeah, we don't, I mean. <laughs> National championship next couple next, uh, next years later. Yep, that was weird. So, I, I like, 
I just, I mean, going off of that, like, the NCAA should never be allowed to punish anyone ever again. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we're going to move on uh, from the basketball program here at South Carolina to the football program here at South Carolina, where Brian McClendon is coming back as yeah. a wide receiver. So it was a, a wide receiver's coach. It was reported that he was going to the Steelers to join Mike Tomlin's um, staff. We talked about that a Definitely. couple weeks ago. Uh, we asked Cedric about it last week, not McClendon specifically, but just about the position coaches that had left. Uh, we talked with him about that on Friday. Um, now McClendon is for sure staying at South Carolina, so we hear. Um, and he turned down, from what I read, he turned down several offers in the NFL, or multiple, not maybe not several, uh, multiple offers in the NFL, uh, which could be two, but it could be ten. Um, and he is not going to the Steelers. I'm assuming my best guess is that this is a money thing yeah. because he's getting a pretty good contract from the University of South Carolina, and he has no real reason to leave. Um, he was successful as a wide receivers coach when he was a wide receivers coach uh, here you know, a couple years ago at South Carolina. So unless he was going to get paid more or get paid the same even, there's no real reason for him to make that leap if he doesn't feel like he has to. I mean... I think he's got young kids, you know, got a family. He's here in Columbia. Like, this is his home. Like, he's getting paid pretty well. I mean, probably more than most wide receivers coaches in Definitely. college or even the NFL are getting paid. Um, and I, that would be my guess as to why he's still here. Yeah, I saw it. I was kind of shocked by it, and a lot of people think the program's a mess at this point. I mean, it is. But with him, <laughs> so with him going back to wide receivers coach, that puts Bobby Bentley going back to running backs coach. Yep. And then Cox, I think, will be coaching the tight ends. Is that correct? Uh, I I have no clue. I don't like at this point. I don't even know. It's such a whirlwind right now. I do know Bobby is going back to to running backs coach. I know he hates that because it's like yeah, I, I feel like he's a quarterback guy. And it's like he's hit coach running backs and tight ends. He's like, okay, finally I get to do what I want to do. And then he ends up going right back to uh, coach the tight – I mean, uh, yeah, coach the running backs. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about because I know you had, you had talked about three or four times um, on the show that you wanted Bobby not coaching running backs and not coaching tight ends. Yeah, I, I feel like he's a quarterback guy. One of my guy, one of my friends who's close to the uh, program, things of that nature, said it was like he didn't really want to coach the quarterbacks coach while his uh, – he didn't really want to be a quarterbacks coach while his son was here. That's You know, because the dynamic is kind of like, okay, he's uh, he's here for this, that, and the third. But it's like now I get to do what – you know, it's my calling, and he was super excited about it. But I guess Muschamp walked over to his office and told him, hey, big fella, you got, you got those tight ends. And so, you know, when the, big, when the boss tells you to do something, you go do it. Yeah, so he'll be back with running backs, which is what he started at here at the University of South Carolina. Before uh, uh, our guy came in from Miami. Yep. And But the other coaching, so Ray Tanner came out, he came, I think this was Friday he was talking. Yeah, Friday. Uh, he said that Muschamp will hire another coach within the week. It's expected to be former, linebacker, former Gamecock linebacker Rod Wilson, who's coaching uh, special teams with the Chiefs. Uh, currently, so he just won a Super Bowl. I'm sure he's having a great, great offseason so far, but he looks to be on his way to Columbia, or back to Columbia. Um, This is is big from from South Carolina as a culture. I think we talked about uh, this with Cedric, I believe, is, and we've talked about it in the past, whereas you need, like, you need your former guys, like, you can't build an entire coaching staff uh, from the scraps of another program. Yeah, like it, it's and we talked about this, you know, a couple of weeks ago when they hired Bobo. Is now when you look at South Carolina, it's literally a Gamecock logo thrown on a bunch of Georgia graduates, <laughs> or 
maybe not all graduates, but former Georgia Bulldogs players, coaches, whatever. Uh, and to have one of your own come in and, I mean, one of the most important position coaches on the field, it's hard to put one over another, but quarterbacks and linebackers are were two of the more prominent, you know, coaching position coaching roles. Uh, and, and to be in Will Muschamp's defense, which he has direct control over. I mean, he's a defensive specialist, so, I mean, so to speak, so his reputation says. Um, to have a former Gamecock come in and step into that role, a guy who's coming from the NFL, uh, it's going to be, it, it's a good look for the University of South Carolina, and hopefully it kind of changes the culture as far as from the inside out of, like, someone, like a linebacker, like, Ernest Jones being able to walk to his position coach and say, hey, like, I'm feeling this from the fans. Like, tell me about your experience with yeah. these fans when you were here. Or I'm feeling this from the community. Or, like, I mean, just those small little things that, that you would have no way of knowing unless you went here and played here. Yeah, definitely. And I also, like, from the NFL perspective, I think it's nothing greater than, like, whenever you have an NFL guy come back to college because he can tell the guys, let's say you're slacking off in practice, and I'm like, this is not what it looks like, and I literally know what it looks like. So that's also big for recruiting because now I can walk in the living room and it's like I've seen NFL linebackers. He's one of them to our school. We can develop him, and I can – because I've worked with the pros. Also, just to go back to it real quick, yeah, so Joe Cox is his name. He'll be coaching the tight ends. Uh, also, defensive line coach is going to be... From well, Tennessee. Yeah, yes. uh, Tracy Rocker. I have heard... So, Tracy Rocker, when I first heard him, I was like, all right, what, what do I need to know about this guy? Yeah. Check check the Twitter first. Like, it's always <laughs> the best thing you do. If you want to get a good temperature from fans, go read the message boards, go read Twitter. From Tennessee fans, who we sat here the other day and talked about, who were some of the most colorful fans in, in the country, let's say, uh, absolutely seem to love rocker yeah said he was great for their program um so that's good to hear from a fan perspective and then you start looking at analysts who said like you, you start looking at stats from t- when he got from the time he got to tennessee to the time he left the defensive line got a lot better yeah tennessee had a really good defensive line this past year a decent one the year before uh so if you're gonna replace someone like here's a pretty good guy to get that's like the number one guy not to mention he as well has NFL experience with the Tennessee Titans. Will Muschamp said that he's been trying to get him before, so he's finally been able to lock him down and be a Gamecock. So it seems like this is kind of squaring itself away, all the coaching uh, carousel, whatever the case may be. So now the guys get locked in and ready for spring Yeah, ball. so, like, that's the thing is there is, like, you lost a really, really important guy in Thomas Brown, and then you lost a few other guys. We thought McClendon was going to be one of those. He's coming back. That situation is just a That's the only one that's weird to me. Yeah. But the other beat the other few, you've made improvements. Yeah. Um, if not, at least stayed at the same level because you have guys who were really good and they're going to be taken by guys who have just as much, you know, who, whose credibility is just as high or whose reputation is just as good and have, you know, performed to the same level. Uh, the, I think the only place you're missing is, and I hate to put this on Bentley, is running backs. Yeah. And it's nothing against Bobby Bentley, but Thomas Brown's a great running backs coach. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Bobby Bentley this year to make sure the running backs are in check and keep playing like they have been playing 
but there's a lot of pressure also on the offensive line because they they were bad in yeah. spots last year, like bad, bad. And I don't understand, like I don't know how it happened, but that that guy didn't really you didn't hear too much about him maybe losing his job, whatever the case may be. Seems like he's like kind of flew by under the radar. So hopefully he can get that offensive line going in spring ball and they can carry on because last year was bad. Yeah, you had a lot of youth on that offensive line last year that you don't, like, Donald Staley was the only guy who was a senior and he hadn't made it in, like, he was at center. He hadn't made an incredible amount of starts at center or something like over his whole career. Um, Like, now that you have some older guys on that offensive line, like, you are losing all excuses. You have a very young quarterback in Ryan Holinsky, um, who you need to protect. Yeah. If you don't go with Holinsky, you have an even younger quarterback in Doty, yeah. who you need to protect. And if you don't go with Doty, you have a more versatile running or quarterback in on Joyner, who is can make plays with his feet and can be all over the pocket. So you need even more athletic linemen. Uh, Ryan Holinsky, by the way, Brendan had the the pleasure of meeting him at a lacrosse game the other day. Oh wow! Uh, um, so heard great things. So. But Cox, Cox won. They played Alabama, right? Yeah. Cox across. They're still undefeated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Helensky's out. He's he's been doing a lot with club sports, which is good to see from like your quarterback. Is obvi- he's going to be the face of your team, no matter who your quarterback. Perry Orth was here. Perry Orth probably the most. I mean, got like we all know the story. He was stocking shelves at Publix under Face Street, <laughs> and then he was a quarterback. And instantly, like if you were a quarterback at a major university or yeah. at any university. You become the most recognizable face on campus. Yeah, you're the uh, guy. Like, and he's playing on a team with Debo Samuel, and he's still, you know, the most recognizable face. Like, just because you're the quarterback, so for to have a quarterback who's involved with as much stuff around the university, um, like Holinsky, but he's done a lot with club hockey. He's now he looks like he's doing a good bit with club lacrosse. Like to see him like out in the school itself, like not just in the Columbia area. But like in within the school, like going and supporting other teams, and not just doing it like once and never coming back. Or you see him at, you might see him at a hockey game or a soccer game like once. Like he seems to be doing this. Like this is his thing. Like he enjoys like being around this group of people at the University of South Carolina and these fans and these other athletes. And he's building like a solid foundation. Now he's just. I mean, he's got. Like the kid cannot win any more fans. Yeah, as far as fanfare, he's excellent. Not to mention, kind of a different kind of blueprint. Most of the time, you have athletes get to these campuses, they don't really get any anything involved more than football. Maybe they show up like to the a homecoming, maybe like a parade or something. But for the, and they're always together. But by him doing that, it's like a little different way of doing it. And not, not to mention, it kind of gets the fans behind you. So now Absolutely. instead of uh, you having a hundred thousand people who hate you on Twitter if you throw an interception, now you only got ninety thousand. Look, you're gonna need some like kids. Like, parents who, this kid's from, I don't know, Iowa. Yeah. He plays lacrosse. You go meet his parents. His parents go back to Iowa. Now, they have a personal connection with you. Like, say they aren't big football fans. They they are rooting for you because, like, you're out doing these things. And, like, like you build relationships. And he's he has been excellent at, build, like, building relationships from the fundamental level within the school, like, within the university. And, like, he's actually, it's it's kind of like, having a high school quarterback. Yeah, definitely. Because, like, you, everyone's, everyone knows the high school quarterback at your high school. Like, at a school like this, you know, at South Carolina, there's 30-something thousand students here. Like, there's no way you should ever see the quarterback anywhere. Yeah. And, and for him to, like, be out with just, I don't know, regular, doing what's, like, student life is 
weird and cool to see because you just don't see that that often. Probably makes the experience also that much better. Yeah, like, he's it's soaking like, it up. Like, he's a college, like, this is what college quarterbacks should be doing. Like, you're the man on campus. Like, go eat up, like, that fame. Yeah, like, yeah. You don't know how long it's going to last. Like, go, like, have fun and do all these things because you can do them. Like, so that's cool to see, like, he is taking advantage of his platform that, like, he is only given and he's getting the full effect of it, which is which is good to see. Like, I like to see, like, people actually be fulfilled in the role they've been given and what he's done to get here and actually enjoy some things other than just, like, playing football and continuing his his legacy in, on the football field, which there's nothing wrong with that. But it's cool to see him, like, take a minute and go do, do something else and, like, enjoy just being a big name on campus and making connections. Definitely. Your window is small, so, hey, take advantage of all you can. Absolutely. Now, also, uh, you, you want to go to Paul like, Fowler? Uh, yeah. No, we're going to switch. Let's go to baseball first. Okay. And we'll wrap up our South Carolina talk uh, for today. So, South Carolina baseball, quickly, they slept, They swept uh, Holy Cross in the season opener over the weekend. 10 nothing Friday night, 9-4 Saturday. Uh, they played five innings Sunday, and they won 5 nothing because of weather. They only played five innings. Uh, but here's your, here's your, you're playing Holy Cross. There's not a lot there. Hey, you, you did get a sweep. We haven't seen a season opener sweep in a while. Yeah. Um, it, it's always bad when you start this. Last year, I think they lost one at Liberty. Like, you should, you should not ever lose a game to these lower level schools. Um, if you want to really set a good base for your season. So it's good to get the sweep. But where you look is Carmen Lejenski, who pitched Friday night. We've been hearing a lot about him all off season. If you pay attention to, to college baseball and South Carolina baseball, this like this is the guy. He's supposed to be the next Clark Schmidt, like the next like solid Friday night starter. Next man up. Seven innings pitched, six hits, three Ks, one walk, eighty-seven pitches. I watched the game Friday. Controlled very well through the first six innings. Pitch count was very good. Um, the whole game. I mean, obviously, like we said, this first game of the year. Like batters take a while to get warmed up. Usually, pitchers start a little hotter. Um, but it's good to see, like, him come out and have a Friday night ace kind of start in his first game, like, playing on Friday night, pitching on Friday night. So this is going to be your guy going forward. So he's, I think, like, when you look at a college baseball team and you're not really sure what you're getting, the first place you should always look early in the season is your Friday night ace, and he had a good performance Friday. So we'll watch that again going forward. They play Winthrop Tuesday. Um, at four, and they play Presbyterian Wednesday at four, and like you got, you need a good start to the season if you're South Carolina because, like you just haven't had a really good season in a while, um, and the standard is different here at South Carolina than it is most places elsewhere in the country. Like you need to be in the College World Series, and it's been a while. Yeah. Like this is the season to get back, especially if you're Kingston. You got a good bit of support in your your third year here now. You were looking to make an improvement. You need to make an improvement in a, in a big way. And getting a good start in February is the best way to do that. Going into the Clemson series, South Carolina should never lose a game. It, so they always play that series the first weekend of March. South Carolina should always be undefeated when they get to Clemson. And we haven't seen that um, in previous years, in the last few years. So, I mean, that's that's something to look forward to if you're a South Carolina baseball fan um, and grab onto. But we're going to move on. To a little, a few guys in the media. We'll yeah. start. We'll start Friday night. Friday with night. Stephen A. Stephen A. I absolutely love seeing Stephen A. Man, that sideline and walk up and down. It looks so natural for him. I think it's it, so, it's it also is. funny because it's like you used to seeing him criticize those people, and he's just walking up and down like owning the thing, almost like a. a, a 
Phil Jackson type vibe. Like, don't 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 get me started. You better make that layup. So if you didn't see it, Stephen A. I don't know how you didn't see it if you follow Stephen A. on anything. He coached a celebrity All Star game Friday night against Mike Wilbon. First of all, the jerseys. Did you watch the game? No, I didn't pay. I seen okay. the highlights on Twitter. The jerseys were terrible. I mean, Wilbon's team was wearing pink, and Stephen A. was wearing green. I mean, they looked like Starburst out there. It was <laughs> awful. I was hoping to see something a little better. Like, if they're in Chicago, like, I don't know why you just don't play with the home team's colors. Like, whoever's hosting, like, give me a red, give me a black for the Bulls. Yeah. Um, do something with the city of Chicago, like, on your on your uniform. But either way, like, that's Stephen A., what we're getting to, Stephen A. gets technical on the sideline. It's just the worst, most set-up, acted-out <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. Stephen A. did a pretty good job of, like, trying to sell it, but it felt so cringy watching it in the yeah. moment. And, like, I I don't know, like, the good videos on Twitter. Stephen A., like, he did his best to sell it, but it still looked just so weird. Yeah, it looked kind of like, okay, guys, it's a little bit staged, but it's hilarious seeing Stephen A. man that side. I need to see it more often. I, it's going to be, you got to tune in for t- first take tomorrow if you can watch it because he got beat by Wilbon. Like, never really was up in the game, and, like, <clears throat> he's not going to take that well. So that'll be good to see on first take. Like, I wish we had someone better than Max Kellerman to give him crap about it. Yeah. Uh but, yeah, that'll be kind of funny for five minutes on first take tomorrow. Guy, Guy Fieri also is behind Stephen A. the entire time of the game. Like, I'm not a huge Guy Fieri guy. I know the internet is obsessed with Guy Fieri. But it's felt weird to me. Every time I see Stephen A., I got Guy Fieri, like, touching his shoulder or something. Like, <laughs> right behind him. And I wanted Stephen A. to just snap off on him. Yeah. Stephen A. is definitely the kind of guy that would just get ticked off enough to just be like, just leave me alone. Yeah, I could definitely see Stephen A. turn around and be like, get off of me. And it didn't happen, but, it, like, it was just awkward the whole night from, from Fieri, who's usually pretty good, like, even though I'm not a big guy guy. But he's usually pretty good in that spotlight moment because he is TV professional. Yeah. Uh, it was just awkward the whole night. From from Stephen A. To, to your guy. To my guy. I saw this, and I was like, what is actually happening? So please explain to us what's going on right. with Paul Feinball. So, so Paul, I... Uh, so me and Brendan have lived together for three years now, and we have watched, like, Paul Feinbaum probably, I would say, 80% of the days that, that we've lived together. Like, every day, come home, 4 o'clock, Paul's on from 4 to 7... I think from three to seven sometimes. Um, come on, just turn on, turn on the TV. Paul Feinbaum. So we watched the Paul Feinbaum show. Get all his ridiculous callers. Uh, Cat Daddy from South Carolina is definitely like he is an, a, just a fantastic caller and a fantastic representation of the South Carolina fan base. Uh, Paul loves him, so that's good. But so Paul Feinbaum is. I, I this was reported by the Sports Business Journal the other day. It, it's. He's negotiating with TV networks to make a sitcom about his life. And so I always thought, like, Paul Feinbaum loved nothing more than, you know, being on these sets, talking about college football and things of that nature. Arguing with idiots from Alabama. Arguing with Nick Saban at times. It's like (laughs) just being like a a mosquito to him. But, and so when I saw this, I'm like, is this a joke? I thought it was like, it was a bad joke, but it's... Uh, it's well, the sad thing about it is it is a bad joke, but it's also real. Like, he's actually trying to do this. Uh, he's on a, I, I had no clue. I knew he was getting paid. He's on a $5 million three-year deal with ESPN. So he is getting paid, paid. Uh, which, I mean, Paul Feinbaum is, make no mistake, he is the reason why the SEC Network is what it is and why they get viewership from dusk till dawn every day and not just for football games on Saturdays. Like, 
say what you want about the SEC Network, like Paul, and say what you want about Paul Fama. He knows how to get people to watch. Yeah. Um, and like, and he is the he is everything the SEC Network could have ever wanted to help start that program. He brought a large fan base in from Alabama, where he hosted a radio show for several several years. Uh, basically, the same show he hosts now, just building connections with callers and. The callers basically do the show, and Paul just tries to steer the ship and call people idiots, which is hysterical. Um, or I find it to be hysterical, anyway. And, like, for him to decide to start a sitcom about his own life is kind of everything I love about Paul Fondon, because he's so dumb, and he has such a big, like, stupid ego. Like, he's gonna try, he's going to try this. Yeah. And if he makes this, make no mistake, it will be, I will watch every episode. It will be <laughs> terrible television. It will be absolutely garbage. I can't imagine anything that the American people want less than a Paul Feinbaum sitcom. Um, but for my sake, I, I hope it happens. And yeah. I hope it's phenomenal, but I know it's not going to be. But here's, the big thing is, if he does do this, uh, he's, he's signed through 2020, I think through to the summer of 2021. Um, but if this does happen, he could leave after the 2020 football season. He would leave ESPN and the SEC Network. Uh, that's a that's a huge spot for the SEC Network and ESPN to fill up. And his show, as it is now, would go to a few other companies. I saw The Ringer get mentioned, but DAZN looks to be the most likely. DAZN, which is now... I mean, DAZN is, is taking over Canada. It's like their biggest online media market. They're based out of Toronto, I believe. Um, the zone. Here's the connection. John Skipper, former president of ESPN, hired Paul Feinbaum. He's now at the zone. That's the connection for Paul Feinbaum. And the zone is building a platform, avidly trying to get people, like radio hosts, into their space, into the zone online streaming, uh, and other things that they do. And, and Paul Feinbaum would be a huge get for them. Now. Every fan who listens to, I would say 90% of the people who watch Paul Feinbaum or listen daily are going to have no clue how to find Paul Feinbaum once he gets on the zone because it's on the internet. And people in the South, like, if you're over 60, talking, yeah, you, telling them about the internet is a foreign language. Yeah, they do not want to hear. They want to be able to turn on SEC Network, which they're probably just that, really that, They're probably just figuring that out. <laughs> it's been around since 2015, I think. Exactly. And so now, yeah, you'll probably lose a lot of following. Hopefully they get. Hopefully maybe ESPN. ESPN will maybe be able to keep him like part time. I no. If he goes, he's he's gone. Um, I think it's, I think it's crucial for the SEC. I don't think it's a big deal for ESPN. Yeah. But I think it's big for the SEC network. Like, yeah. I, you. That's a lot of space you got to fill now. I mean, that's like three four hours of your day you got to fill now. Um, Paul's done a lot with with get up and first take over the last year or two. He does a really good job of representing the SEC, I think, because he's an SEC homer. And I, I know the joke is that, you know, around the country that the ESPN loves the SEC. Well, yeah, because it's the best football and it makes the most money. So there's your answer. Um, but Paul is, is a true SEC homer. And, like, an actual, he is, like, eat, sleeps, breathes SEC football. Uh, he went to Tennessee. Like, he covered LSU. He covered the Saints. Um, actually, I don't know if he covered LSU. He covered the Saints. Uh, so he was in New Orleans for a while. Um, he's covered Alabama. He's covered Auburn. He's hosted a radio show for 20-plus year, plus years. I think he wrote in Mississippi for a while for a paper. Um, now he's in Charlotte with the SEC Network. And I think it's a huge gap to fill for ESPN on the SEC Network side. 
I don't know. You're not going to – it's going to be really, really hard to find someone to fill that gap. Um, yeah, because it takes a long time for a fans to kind of build a relationship with guys sometimes, like especially like analysts, things of that nature. And so it's like I like him, and now you're going to throw somebody else. So even if the other person is pretty good, it's like you're you're not our guy. Paul, yeah, Paul's got a 30-, 40-year, like, relationship yeah. with, with fans of especially Alabama and Auburn, uh, but fans around the South. And, and like, in Alabama, like, he, Paul Vonbaum is, like, the voice of, of Alabama football. Like, Alabama football is meaning the state of Alabama, not necessarily in Tuscaloosa. But, like, that is, if you turn on Paul Vonbaum's show, most of his callers are from Alabama because that's where he built his brand. He had his radio show for years and years and years. And they love calling up Paul Feinbaum and screaming at the opposite fan, whether you're Auburn or Alabama fan, just about nonsense. Yeah. So, it, like, I mean, that's a huge base to lose if you're ESPN. And if you're ESPN, if you're the SEC Network, which, and you're asking me which state you should target first, it, it's Alabama. Like, yeah. you have diehard fan, like, fans who actually hate each other. And not only that, I mean, you can find that in any state in the South, I think, but they are very successful, like, and especially recently successful. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's going to be a wild journey watching Paul. It always is over the next year or so. Uh, but something that's kind of funny that I thought we should talk about for a minute. Um, Lastly, well, this Miles Garrett, Mason Rudolph situation. Uh, whenever with Mason Rudolph, this is all sparring off the event, whenever Miles Garrett took a swing at Mason Rudolph with his helmet, and it's been reported that Mason Rudolph, well, Miles Garrett is saying that Red, that Mason Rudolph called him the N-word. Mason Rudolph is saying that's a bold-faced lie. I think it's very odd that, Miles didn't say that like originally. Like if he would have said it within the first forty eight hours, everybody'd be like, "Okay, okay, I get it." Yeah. But it kind of came like way late, and it's like I don't understand why he. If it, if it was true, why wouldn't you say it like right away? Okay, all right. So I'm I'm with you on your suspicions there, because that's kind of what I was thinking at first, and then I watched. He sat down with Mina Combs for um, who writes for ESPN.com, does a bunch of stuff for ESPN now, um, for an outside the lines interview, and he talked about it as being something like. It, and he said, he's like, this is, I think they just did this interview last week. He's like, I get, he's like, I did something that no amount of words that I can say or no action that I can say can validate what I did or even like service justice for it. He's like, I can't make an excuse for what I did. It was incredibly wrong. So I do believe that Miles Garrett understands to his core that he never should have done that. Yeah. Um, but the thing for me is like, and the way he's like, he's just like, I haven't really want to talk about it because it happened on the field and. I just want to leave it on the field and move on with my life. Like, he said, I heard what I heard. Um, and she asked him, Mina Kimes asked him about, well, okay, but why is there, like, no backup? And my thing, my original question was, if that was the case, he had several other people standing in the vicinity, like, very close, like, yeah. touching each other. I would have thought someone else would have heard it. And if Miles Garrett didn't come out and say it, someone else would, even if you were a Steelers you know, uh, offensive lineman, like, that's not something that, 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 that statement, that, like, using a racial slur, like, crosses team colors. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's. Bro code on the plot here. Yeah. And, and someone else would have said something, but then he, so from what Miles Garrett said, is that Mason Rudolph said that on his way to the ground, like, while Miles Garrett was taking Mason Rudolph to the ground. So that makes sense to me, if you were literally on your way to hitting the ground, that no one else would have heard it. Miles Garrett pointed out that for some reason uh, Mason Rudolph's helmet mic wasn't on that day or that he had a different helmet or something. Um, that's weird. 
but you had plenty of other players mic'd up around him. Uh, refs are mic'd up. A lot of people standing in the vicinity. He doesn't think that the NFL, or he didn't come out and say this, but I can you can infer from watching it that he doesn't think the NFL did a thorough job of going back listening to the audio and like actually doing an investigation. But I, so I think he's going to stick to what if he says he heard it. Like he looks, he seems to me to be convinced that that is what he heard. Um, he heard a racial surrogate tossed at him, and, and it's the one you're thinking of. And but he does seem to me like he's just like. I don't, he's like, I just want to move on and play football. Yeah. It, it doesn't look to me like he is going to bear this on himself forever and make some huge deal about it. I think the reason he's saying this is I'm not going to make, like, I can't justify what I did, but if you want to understand why I did it, here's why. Here you go. So, and I can understand that from Miles Garrett. Like, I, like I'm curious to see if anything else comes out about it going forward, if other players are asked about it, and now that they've had some time to think about it, if they're like, yeah, I did hear that, but I didn't want to say anything to, you know, put anyone in, in um, jeopardy there. But I, I don't know. It's I, I get kind of what Miles Garrett's saying. Yeah, he's been reinstated in the league now, so he'll be back next season. Yeah, and Mason Rudolph's come out and said it was a lie. So, I like, I have no reason not to believe Mason Rudolph either. So, I like, I have no reason not to believe either one of them. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting. Um, but Brendan, producer Brendan just handed me his laptop. So this is, I guess, what Mike Tomlin was saying, right? That he talked with a lot of people, Tomlin talked with a lot of people with Cleveland, and that he thought something would have come out. Like, he would have heard somewhere from someone that that word was tossed out, which I believe. Um, that that does not, like, just kept in mind. I, I think someone, if even if no one else heard it on the field, Miles Garrett would have told that to one of his teammates. Yeah. Uh, so Mike Tomlin says this. He said, I support Mason Rudolph not only because I know him, but also because I was on that field immediately following the altercation with Miles Garrett and subsequently after the game. I interacted with a lot of people in the Cleveland Browns organization, players and coaches. If Mason said that, if Mason said what Miles claimed, it would have came out during the many interactions I had with those in the Browns organization. In my conversations, I had a lot of expressions of sorrow for what transpired. Um... So, and then he says, I received no indication of anything racial or anything of that nature in those interactions. For a black, for a black coach to support a, a white player on that, you must be pretty set in, like, that you're... That's, that's what I think. Because otherwise you wouldn't say that because it's like you... Because uh, I know some African-Americans mind is like you're kind of, like, siding with the other side. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And so if he's siding with him, he's almost 100% sure. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what I think of it. That's the only thing I think that's weird. So I'm not going to call Miles Garrett a liar. Because I think I still do think there's a there's a place where no one else heard it and Miles Garrett kept it quiet. Yeah. Like I don't know him. He seems like a quiet dude. Like um, everything I've listened to, uh, you know, old Texas A and M beat writers and stuff to talk about Miles Garrett. Like he's kind of a quiet guy. Like doesn't say a lot. Um, he'll like if you ask him a question, he'll give you an answer, and then he just kind of moves on. Um, and he says he just wanted to keep it on the football field. And he said he's not looking to go after Mason Rudolph like in his life or whatever. Uh, like, there's still, I mean, like, in his own words, there's no justification for, you know, swinging a helmet across somebody's head. Um, but I do kind of believe what you're saying. And what Mike Tomlin said, for him to come out and say that, seem, like, he would have to have 100%, like, I know Mason Rudolph didn't say this. Yeah. So whatever you're hearing from him, I don't believe it. Um, and no one in our organization believes it. And we're going to back Mason Rudolph on this. So I I don't know what else to say. I, I think... If you're asking me, I, I would still side with Mason Rudolph right now just because 
I think we would have heard something else from someone other than Miles Garrett. Uh, but his, I mean, like what he's saying, like it, there's a scenario where I could see that happen. This chance is very slim. Yeah, so we'll keep an eye out on that and see what happens with that. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, so, all right, that's going to be about it for us today. So Thursday, we or Friday, we record on Thursday. Uh, the days always get confusing. Friday, we're going to have a couple interviews for you, um, or at least one. Yeah. And we're talking some baseball, I think, uh, and, and digging into some other things. Baseball season's coming up for the MLB. The MLB spring training games start this weekend, next weekend. Um, is upcoming weekend. So that'll be something we talk about with a guest um, and we've got some other exciting things coming forward. Like I said, we're going to have, if you have not listened to the Cedric Malone interview, go back and listen to it from Friday. It was absolutely incredible. And we're going to talk to him again here in a couple weeks after he goes out to Vegas and does his thing in the Spring Football League. So, like I said, if you see him on Twitter or whatever, throw him some support, show him some love, um, and show us some love, and go follow athlete underscore block, or did I say that right? At the lead underscore block. Yep. And, and on Twitter and Instagram, go follow Matt at Matt the Chosen One with the number one and myself at Tyler Walter CNR. Uh, anything else? Thank uh, you, Ben Sound, for our music. Always yeah. gotta throw that in there. And then last, from you? and last thing, if you get a chance, go on YouTube, look at the slam dunk competition. We had some creative dunks this year, so that was pretty good. Oh yeah, I saw Taco Fall was involved in that. I guess the so I've seen a little bit on Twitter today that the. Uh, Reaction was that Gordon should have won because he jumped over Taco Ball, Taco yeah. Fall. But I side with the people who said, hey, my first problem is way too many people are handing out 10s. They were handing out 10s on every dunk. So yeah. how do you keep a legit score if everyone gets a 10? <laughs> um, you got to chill with that if you're the NBA. Like, just talk to the guys who are judging and be like, every dunk here is not a 10. Like, they're all amazing, but all of them can't be scored a 10 because then none of them are a 10. Yeah. Uh, but if you try, I appreciate the effort to try to jump over Taco Fall. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was a good move. Like, you cross fan bases there. Like, Celtic fans are going to love that. Like, people like people are enamored with Taco Fall because he's the largest human they've ever seen. Um, but if you try to jump over Taco Fall, he did not clear his head, so he failed. Yeah. Is that, your, is that how you feel about it? Yeah, I saw it. It was like, he didn't even touch his head. It's like, yes, he did. Yeah, I mean, yes, he, he clipped his head. Like, he got over his shoulders, which is still incredible. Yeah, That's still incredible. quite a ways up in the air. But like, if you try to jump over him, you don't get all the way open. I don't think you should be rewarded for that. No. Uh, but with that being said, thank you for listening, and we will see you on Friday. This podcast is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. Find out more about Garnet Media Group's podcast and other student work on garnetmedia.org.